Revelation 22, and we're going to go ahead and pick up on verse 10 and read through verse, um, <clears throat> well, actually reading through verse 15, verses 10 to 15. <clears throat> Revelation 22, verse 10, and he, and he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of, this, of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his, as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end the first and the last. <clears throat> Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers <clears throat> and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. We'll stop right there. <clears throat> what we're going to look at tonight is, um, I, I would call it, a taste of the author, kind of a part, a parting taste. You know what an epilogue is? You got a book, and then the book's kind of the gist of the book is written, and then the author will usually put an epilogue to sometimes just add a word about him or herself, or maybe an additional comment on the content. And basically, what we're dealing with with really the last part of chapter twenty-two is like an epilogue, and have you ever gone to, okay, kids, you can talk to me, you know, answer me, okay? What is it that you like at, um, what is it you like at a restaurant? What is it you like at a restaurant? Raise your hand, you can talk back to me. Yeah, have your hands raised, though. Anything particularly that you like at going to a restaurant? Um, Noah? Chow mein, okay. All right. Um, Grant? Orange chicken, okay. So what do you like at, after you're done eating Anything else? Benjamin? I wanted to be pineapple. Pineapple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. What else do you like? Anything kind of after you're eating the main meal? What is there anything you like after that? Seamus? So that's, oh, we're in this chicken thing. All right. You know, that sounds good. Yes, Benjamin. Huh? The cookies. Is that at the end? You get the four. How many of you guys like fortune cookies? Raise your hand. All right. Yep. <clears throat> Just want to let you know, here's your, your real fortune message right there, okay? Seriously, this is your real fortune. Those are just speculation. And anyways, the cookie's good. It tastes like a rolled up, uh, you know, ice cream cone or something, you know? <clears throat> but you like that? You like to kind of leave with a fortune cookie? Yeah? Anybody like, now, there's any kids like the little dinner mints? Anybody like mints? Raise your hands, kids. Those chocolate melting mints, okay? You like those? I kind of like them. Cream de mints, I like those. Yeah, I, I remember one time I went to, <clears throat> I don't know if it was my dad or somebody who took, went to a, a place that had sushi. It was pretty good, we ate the sushi, and then, then they brought to my table when, when I'm done some kind of carved out orange thing. And maybe that was dad, okay. And uh, up the road here at Masa Sushi, okay. And over we down, like, this is pretty good. And then they had this little carved out orange thing. I was like, whoa, look at that, what a work of art here. Should I eat it? It looks so good. 
you know? And then they drizzled chocolate or something on there. And I ate it. I'm like, that's pretty good. I didn't think chocolate and orange were allowed to go together. That might have been an unequal yoke in my mind, but it, but it, but it worked. So um, I thought, that's pretty, it was pretty tasty. Kind of my little parting, parting taste here. And so I think of this, as you get to the end of this book, it's like we're getting a parting taste of, of God. You know, we got the gist of everything. And you really, this is an epilogue, and there's statements and promises and, um, you know, just different things that God is saying at, towards the end here. And I guess how I'm organizing this is that, you know, I'm really just getting some par- a parting taste of the author. As we're walking away from this book, you get an idea of what God's like. I mean, you get an idea of it through the whole book, but as you walk away from this, you get some particulars. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. As we look at these verses, we're going to look at verses 10 through 14. Verse 10, we get a, a, a taste, a, a certain characteristic of God. We're getting a certain taste and a, a sense of who God is as we're finishing this book. And here's the first sense, five senses here of God as, we, as we're finishing this book. Um, first one is this. We see in verse 10 that the God that of this book is a God who has a word for today. He has this word is that he has is for today. We have a God who's, who's current, who has a word for today. And again, verse 10, he saith unto me, seal not. What does it say? Seal not the sayings of this book. Don't just stick this book on a shelf and let it sit there. Nor set it there and say, well, even if you open it, you're not really going to get it. God, the God of this book is a God, is a current, is a God who has something to say today. Even though we're reading a book that was written, the least the last book, Revelation was written, you know, 2,000 years ago. The God who wrote it says, this is for now. And he's been saying the now for 2,000 years. He said to John, this is, seal not the sayings of this book. Don't seal it. Well, not everybody's going to understand stuff coming out of the sea and horned monsters and, you know, flying things and demons. Well, I think they can if they think about it. We have all kinds of sci-fi movies people watch, you know, and it's all fake. But this is real. And and the the things that are only symbolic are still symbolic of something that is real. So we have a God, the God of this book. He says in verse 10, don't seal the sayings of this book. The time is at hand. This is for now. He has a word for today. You know, have you ever gone to like some of your some of your old books? Anybody have like, has anybody maybe recently thrown a book away or a manual away? And you look at this manual, like this manual is totally irrelevant. How to navigate Windows 95 or something, you know. Was there even a Windows 95? Yeah. And you're going, that is it's so irrelevant, right? Unless you find an old computer and you want to kind of get it going. I don't know. You know, how to, na- or a Y2K book. Did anybody want to confess if they've ever owned a Y2K book? All right. You've seen them before? And then very shortly. There's people who wrote books. Y2K, watch out. This is in the late 90s, kids. They thought everything was going to fall apart once it turned 2000 because we just didn't know how to make our odometers work right. And planes were falling out of the sky. Computers won't work. Our banks are going to crash because of a turning of a thing that's going from 1999 to 2000 on our calendar 
things. We thought, and people were writing books on this. this is, everything's going to be terrible. Watch out. And, and they're selling books. And that was the most time-sensitive way to sell a book. You better get it sold before then because we're all going to know you and your speculations the next day. And nothing happened, right? Except a bunch of firecrackers. Those books are irrelevant. You don't even have to seal them. You can shred them, right? But this book is still relevant. Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And that even tells us why not, you know, why not, why shouldn't we, in this church or any church, why shouldn't this be preached and taught? It should be, because it should be unsealed, you know. And by the way, it says later on that Jesus says, I've, I've sent my angel to testify these things in the churches. Revelation should be a frequent book at some level in churches to be taught and preached. So who's the, who is God? We're getting a piece of Him. He's a God who has a word for right now and the contents of Revelation for right now. Whether we get the gist of all of them or not, we need to at least keep our mind and heart uh, reading it and aware of it in some way. Number two, what else we get a parting sense of God is, number two, we see a God who... Who, this is, this is a, a fearful thought, but I, I, it's true. We see, as you look at verse 11 in your Bible, or you hear it from me right now, we see from verse 11 that He is a God who will fix people's destiny. Now, verse 11, when we read it, it sounds kind of odd to us. And we're going to read it here in a minute. But when you take kind of the whole picture, the before and the after words, I'll tell you, the gist of it is that God is telling people to not be what they are right now, that is, uh, you know, unclean, unbelieving. He wants them to be believing. And there's going to come a point where, all right, it's done, you're fixed. All right, so let's read the verse here. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. The context is his coming. And the context is a whole book of prophecy is being taught and preached to the, to the reader and to the hearer. And as it comes to the end, it's, the call in this book is repent and believe. And for us as Christians to, to be brave and serve. But as it comes, it's like when, when Jesus comes back, it's like the person who is unjust is going to continue to be unjust still. Their fate is sealed. And he that's filthy is going to continue to be filthy still. You can't change it anymore. And he that's holy, be holy still and righteous, that we believe on Jesus Christ, which is the righteousness of God, we're going to be righteous still. Right now, we don't want to let people be. If there's somebody that's unjust, I don't want to let them be right now. I want to let them be. I want to help them to be just in believing on Jesus Christ. God says, that makes you just. And I want people be just by, by believing on Jesus Christ, but once Christ comes or they die, let him be unjust still. Let him be filthy still. Why? I can't do anything about it. Think about this. Think about this. If you're not getting what I'm saying. What happened when Jesus was propped up on the cross? There was two people next to him. Right? What kind of people were they, kids? Tell me. Andrew. They were unjust. What type of what type of title were they? They were called a specific thing. Jonathan, thieves, right hand and left hand. Did it say which one was on the right? Did it say which one? I can't remember. But anyways, let's just say the right hand was the guy that believed, and the left hand was not. Okay, that we don't know. I don't know if that's what it says. We'd have to skim through the verses. But whatever. 
Here's Jesus up on the cross. There's a thief over here and a thief over here. And at the beginning, if you follow all the dialogue, they both reviled him. Now, Jesus was only up on the cross for, I think, six hours. I say only, <laughs> you know. And so we assume they were conscientious about that time. Maybe they passed before him. I don't know. But here's Jesus up on the cross. Here's one. Here's another. They both came up on that cross the same way, right? Thieves, sinners. They both came up against Jesus. But when they died, they died differently, didn't they? This one finally turned in some way. So the Lord had this very elementary prayer. Didn't have all this theology crisp, well, perfectly said. He just knew this man right here must be the Son of God. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He, must, he knew something of his deity and something of his power and something of his justness. He called him righteous in some earlier words. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus basically said, you're going to be with me today there. And this guy, never it never says he did anything. And that ended it. That's all we know. When he died, he died unjust still. When he died, he died righteous still because the righteousness of God is the righteousness that comes by faith. He died in faith, so he died righteous. And so the cross is basically, uh, is, it separates people. Same thing now. We come into the world just like these thieves. We all come in sinners. And we may come in with a revile, reviling uh, mind against God. But we're going to die one way or another. And once we die, our destiny is fixed. Or once Jesus Christ comes back as we are, our destiny is fixed. It's a water day with dawn one day and opportunity to change is no longer. I believe that's the gist of what it's saying in verse 11, that God is a God who will finally fix people's destinies. But right now they have a choice on how they want it fixed. Did you hear what I said? It's kind of like when you're pouring cement. Anybody ever pour cement? You get your mold set. You pour the cement. Oh, man, maybe I need to adjust. The cement's still wet. Let me adjust my mold a little bit before it hardens. But you have time to make your choice and make your form, but after a while, it'll be set. Right? Same thing with a, a clay or whatever. And God, right now, people are, are choosing their mold. And there'll come a day when Jesus comes or they die, it's fixed. And he that's unjust will be unjust still. He that's righteous will go and be righteous still. God will finally fix people's destinies and it'll be unalterable. And that's something right there to think about. That today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to believe. Number three, God. We learned some parting things about God. A taste of Him. He's a God who has a word for today. He's a God who will fix people's destiny. Number three, He's a God who will abruptly appear. A God who will abruptly appear. Verse 12. Look what it says. And behold, I come quickly. You notice he didn't say in verse 12, and I come quickly. Did you know, again, this is the plain, plain Bible here. One word has a lot of power. Every word of God is pure. And look, I'm coming quickly. Look, I come quickly. That means, and by the way, you know how many times he said it? He said what it says, verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Look what it says in verse uh, 12. And behold, I come quickly. Look at verse 20. Right in the middle. Surely, absolutely, I'm not messing around. I come quickly. That what does quickly means? 
I'm going to come suddenly and abruptly. I'm going to show up. We have a God, a Savior, who's, who will abruptly appear. And he, he punctuates it in this chapter three times. When I was, when I was younger, I had a friend who had uh, relatives in Yarnell. Anyone ever been to Yarnell? Okay, I went there as a kid. I have not been there since I was, probably since I was 10. Um, and it was, it was a beautiful kind of scenery. I think we went there in the spring, spring break or something with my friend. And his grandparents lived there. I think we spent a day, two days and a night there. And I remember there was a really couple fun places to go hiking. And uh, I don't know if they still exist, but one of them you could go and you can see things that are like, oh, there was different rock formations. Oh, that looks like a bear. Look at that rock. Or there's another area, you go, oh, that looks like a wolf. Look at the formation of that uh, rock. Or there's another, and so we'd hike in different places. But remember my friend and I, his, his name was Crispin. And uh, his, uh, I see I woke you up, Crispin. I had a friend named Crispin. Spelt differently. Yeah. And uh, his older brother's name was John. And I remember John was just a little different. Uh, sometimes I had problems with John. But, um, uh, but one thing John, see, Crispin and I would go, and we'd do fun stuff. And, and, but what John liked to do, he liked to kind of do his own thing. And he, he might would follow us. And, he, and he, he did this thing, and he liked to entertain us. And that we would be out playing or something, kind of by ourselves, and maybe running around a creek. I remember we went by a creek, saw a little snake, you know. And there was a grotto, I think. We went up a bunch of stairs. But John liked to just kind of appear quiet. He didn't like to come up on us and like, hey, I'm coming. Hey, guys. He liked it when we were going somewhere, and all of a sudden we'd turn around, and he'd be standing right. He, he liked that. He was just kind of had this weird, stealthy nature to him. So, and we, we thought it was funny, so he thought, well, they think it's funny, I'm going to keep doing it. They think it's cool, they think, it's almost like they could tell, he could tell that we kind of had this awe to him, like, oh, John, how did you do that? Because I remember a few times we were playing, and we're all, all of a sudden, like, I look over, I'm like, John's standing over on that rock, just like this. I never even saw him coming. He's looking at us. You know? And I'm like, wow, John, did you see that, Crispin? There's John. Well, where's John? You know? And, and then we'd go, that's pretty cool, John, do that again. And so we'd play, and then we'd kind of forget. And then sometimes we'd go, I wonder where John is. There's John. Oh, I don't see him. And so we'd play, and then we'd go, oh, I wonder if John's going to show up. And then it would happen. He'd like, he'd all of a sudden show up. He'd be standing there by the tree. We'd turn around, you know. And he'd just try to impress us. And it got it to where we're like, we were wanted to, we would do our thing. We're playing. Or do, but we'd like, we'd look for him. We'd look for him to suddenly appear. And that's, that's kind of the idea here in such a great, much greater way, is that Jesus says, I'm going to show up. I'm just going to appear. <laughs> and by the way, this is, again, you know, the doctrine of the rapture is just like this subtle thing in the Bible, but it's there. And you see that right there. When he says, I'm going to appear abruptly, that's, that is pointing to his imminence to just, there you are. Whoa, there he is. Yep. He's going to appear abruptly. We have a God abruptly appear and he he will appear appear with a, a reward look what it says and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work as his work shall be you know jesus is going to reward unlike how some people and liberals like to reward you know liberals nowadays want to reward they want to take from somebody who worked real hard and give to somebody who's not you know they want they don't want to kind of make it uneven 
Jesus is going to show up. He's like, I'm going to give you a reward. And it's going to be based on what you've been choosing to do. You choose not to do well, you don't get much reward. You choose to do well, you get good reward. You show good stewardship, I give you substantial reward. You show weak stewardship, you get a small reward. You do little, you get little. You do much, you get much. And that sense of, of character and nature and quality, that's a kind of, by the way, we should reflect that nature right now through us as we deal with people and kids. You know, your kids, if they work well, reward them in proportion to their actions. We want to get them a taste of God, don't we? I don't want to, I, I tell my kids, I'm not raising little liberals. You don't have the right to somebody else's stuff. You don't have the right to trash somebody and still get a reward for it. Uh-uh, no way. You know, I'm going to try to reflect the nature of God, even how I'm dealing with my own kids. Well, here's God. The Lord's going to appear, and every one of us is going to line up, and we're going to get a reward according to our works. We're not going to get a punishment either, because we're beyond that. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It's a reward of greater or moderate or minimal amounts. That's how it works. Number four, another two more characteristics of God as we kind of wind down this book and get a sense for the author who has a word for today, he will fix people's destinies. He will abruptly appear. Number four, he is a God who is beyond all others. He is beyond all others. Verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You know what? That sounds familiar. Let's go to... Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. You know, it's some of the things that are, I won't show you all of them, but the way Revelation starts also has similar things in how it ends. Okay? It starts with a blessing, and it ends showing a blessing. It starts saying, Jesus is coming and every eye shall see Him. And it ends saying, Jesus is coming and every eye shall see Him. It starts in chapter 1, verse 8, saying He's the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And it ends that way. It's kind of like the Lord, the Lord does not, this book of Revelation is not some kind of a haphazard book. It is very coherent. Even Bible scholars that go down in detailed outlines of it, they're amazed at how well you can outline. It's the most outlinable book in the Bible. My point is here, he's, he describes himself as this, that it's a description of himself, verse 13. What does he call himself? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now, the, what is that saying? Alpha is a, for them, their, their, new, their, their uh, alphabet, what's the first thing we can talk about? A, Alpha. What's the last thing we can talk about? Omega, the end thing, the last thing. It'd be like there's Z, okay? And they're like, this is everything from here to here. This is all we know. And the Lord's saying, I am Alpha and Omega. He's, and, and the idea is, I'm, I'm beyond that even. I am, I am the beginning and the end. That is, he's, he, the Lord spans beyond what we can perceive, A to Z. Is there any letter before A? Is there any letter after Z? No, unless you want to make up something, right? Well, he say, when he's saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, I'm before Everything starts, I'm at Alpha, and I'm after all of it, the Omega. He's, he's talking about his deity. 
It's talking about his authority. He's talking about how the fact that Jesus, at the be- he's, he was before the beginning. He's at and past the ending of, of, of known revelation here. And uh, he has the power in between. It's not like the Lord was just in the middle of history. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't just appear in history and like he didn't know much before it and he's learning things afterwards. No, he is before and he is after. He's, he's timeless. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's from the eternities. It says in the Hebrews in Micah 5.2, he's from the eternities whose goings forth have been of everlasting, of old. Um, and so saying that he has the authority in between. Jesus has the sway in power, in sovereignty, and in history. Remember I was telling you this morning on another note about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson this morning, and we were saying how they're reconciled and everything, and, and that historians are, historians are, particularly Christian historians, like to be able, they're glad that there was a reconciliation because they can get to some of those letters and say, what did John Adams say to Thomas Jefferson? What did Thomas Jefferson say back to John Adams? And I was reading some of it. There's a lot of letters. I wasn't going to read them. But even Thomas Jefferson, who we don't know, he, he, he said a lot of things in his life. That you're like, I'm not sure he's a Christian. He may have become a Christian toward the end of his life. Um, but he says some things in, in one of his letters. He basically says, Thomas Jefferson talking to John Adams about government and politics, he basically says the Holy Spirit of God is controlling and dictating what kind of governments he wants in the world. He's basically saying God's doing what he wants to do. And he's still going to hold men accountable to their choices. He, he's saying in, in, in their, their language is, is very Godward and, um, uh, you know, God-fearing. And I just was thinking, you know, that's how the Lord is. He, he's the Alpha and Omega. <clears throat> and excuse me, he, the Lord Jesus has, has um, control of what's in the middle. He has sway in, in our life and in our history. My history is not random, nor is my life. By the way, think, that, think about this about God. Okay, kids, raise your hand if you, if you think this is true. God is in some ways hard to understand. In some ways hard to understand. How many of you kids say, I do understand some things about God? I understand some things. I understand some things. All right. Now raise your hand if you say, I don't understand some things about God. Raise your hand and say, I don't understand some things. Okay, that's okay. <clears throat> Now let me ask you this. What do you think of a God? What did you think of a God who you understood everything about? You know everything about him. What, what kind of God do you think that would be? Bad God, maybe. If I understood everything about God, what do you, how big do you think he would be? Josh? What's that? You can put your plans first. Yeah. It, how about how about this? Wouldn't it seem like he would be a God who's kind of small? If I understand everything about God, hey, I don't even know if I'd want to trust him. I want to trust a God who I do understand, but is beyond, I realize he's beyond me, so I can cast myself in him. And that's what I'm saying in this Alpha and Omega. I'd rather have faith in such a God rather than a God who I can understand the full span of. So the God who is beyond all others, that's what the sense we get in this Alpha and Omega statement. He says, and then these verse 15, 14 and 15, sometimes a little hard to discern, but I'm going to sum up verse 14 and 15 
where we see it's a God who blesses those who yield to His Word. He blesses those who yield to His Word and vice versa. Verse 14, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But without, here's the opposite, not in heaven, but rather in the, in the verse, chapter 21, verse 8, uh, in the second death in the, the lake of fire, there are dogs, it's saying, it's describing the nature of people, and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. God is a God who blesses those that do His commandments. Verse 13, blessed are they that do His commandments. I don't think it's saying that you have to obey God into your way to eternal life. But, you know, the first commandment, or pardon me, did you know that having eternal life is also called uh, the command, it's also called doing the commandment of God. Let me, let me read you this verse. Look at 1 John 3. 23. 1 John 3.23. 1 John 3.23. It says, And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. So when I believe on Jesus Christ as my Savior, I have eternal life, and I've done His commandment. Did you know it also says in John chapter 6, let's look at quickly at John 6, <clears throat> verse 29. John 6, 29. It says, um, Jesus said, this is the work of God. What's the work of God? That you believe on Him whom He hath sent. That's the work of God, to believe. And so that's the, how I enter into eternal life is by believing. But God blesses those who yield to His Word, who obey His Word, and vice versa. So let's look, and we're going to wrap this up. We're looking, in the, we're looking in the book of Revelation tonight. <clears throat> I'm trying to give us a sense of these verses where we get kind of a taste of God as a God who says this Word is for today, a God who's going to come abruptly, a God who, who, is, um, who, who is, is beyond all others. And then we're going to look next uh, two weeks probably about these last, isn't it cool? There's a final invitation. There's a final warning about messing around with this book. And there's a final reminder or word about, again, I'm coming quickly. We're going to look at that next time. But I want you to wrap it. Let's wrap it up with this thought. Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. Again, we're thinking about the Lord. And we kind of wrapped it around the idea of a taste of God, a sense of God. Little verse here, simple verse. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Okay, how many kids? Kids, raise your hand if your Bible is turned to that verse. Psalm 34, 8. I want to see hands raised. Kids, raise your hand. I want to see how many kids there's Bibles turned to there. Noah, are you there? Psalm th- Get there. Psalm 34, 8. Okay, who else? Josh, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, because I want to hear you guys read it. Grant, you got yours? No? All right, Caleb's there. Okay, all right, Seamus. All right, okay. All right, kids, read this with me. Psalm 34, verse 8. We're going to close here in just a moment. Psalm 34, 8. Ready? Let's read it out loud. Begin. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. All right? So sometimes you have something and your mom says, look at this. Uh, my, my, I don't know if it was my mom. Yeah, my mom said, look, I made guacamole. And I was like, ah. Tasted it. It was. <laughs> you know, taste and see. You don't just look and see. You taste ah and see. And you know what? People need to have a sense. We need to we need to find ways to give people a taste of God, um, of His grace and of His goodness, and yes, of His justice and of His retribution. And so, like, oh, He's good. <laughs> I need to trust Him and experience His eternal goodness through Jesus Christ.